This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Rob Hoschild. On this episode, we talk to Christian Scott, trumpeter, composer, band leader, an artist whose hunger to create innovative music has led to the release of several highly acclaimed recordings. He's back at Berkeley today to play the Beantown Jazz Festival. We'll talk about his visit and about his latest record, Christian Atunde Ajua. Let's begin by listening to a little bit of that album's opening track. Christian Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Rob. We'll talk more about the album in a few minutes. No I'd like problem. to ask first about yesterday uh, when you gave a clinic and master class for Berkeley students. Mm-hmm. David Friend Recital Hall sure. was packed. Students were energetic and excited to hear what you had to say and yeah, play. Yeah, a blast. So what was it like to be in the position you're in now, just a few years removed from being in their shoes? Well, it's always a, a little weird, you know, uh, just because... Uh, you know, like I have so many memories of, of sitting in the other chairs, you know what I mean? And, you know, seeing like when Joshua Redman came and did his master class and uh, Jason Moran and a number of other, you know, great musicians and not really wanting to know what it was that they, they had to say about what it was they were doing. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, walking away from master classes, feeling like I didn't learn anything new and, you know, and also having really great experiences as well. So, you know, to be on the other side of the fence is always a little bit weird because, you know, you know exactly what the expectations are and you want to leave them with something that they can, you know, at worst case scenario, walk away and think about and hopefully helps them develop whatever they're trying to get into. So, you know, for for me, it's, uh, it's a little nerve wracking and kind of nervous because I, I really want them to walk away with something, you know what I mean, as opposed to just being like okay well i heard the guy he can play that's good but you know i didn't learn anything other than you know what he was doing with a trumpet you know right so so that was it's it's always a little uh weird and nerve you know i was racking my brain on the train up trying to figure out what the hell i was gonna say you know <laughs> because it's important to me that they walk away with something they can hold on to well i thought it was a great clinic great Thank master you. class and and the students were totally hanging on every word you had them laughing and oh man so. i was also pretty vulgar i should you know i was <laughs> i uh, have a little bit of a potty mouth but i'm, I'm working on myself <laughs> you were keeping it real you yeah saying. i was keeping yeah. it real it's true so they had a lot of questions for you. What yeah. do they seem to be most concerned about at this point? Uh, trying to figure out how they were going to navigate the music industry after they leave here seemed to be sort of uh, the common thread, you know. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, expectations. I think, you know, you come to Berkeley and you do really well here. And, you know, a lot, most of the teachers and the faculty and the staff, they expect the kids that leave here to, to really inundate the music industry and do well because there's a, a pretty prolific history of that happening. So I could tell that that was on a lot of the kids' minds. I shouldn't call them kids, they're adults. A lot of the young adults' minds. And, um, you know, so they asked a lot of questions about, like, if I were in their position and I were going to Berkeley during this era, what would I be doing? And, you know. It's it's hard to answer that question because you're not exactly in their shoes, you know. But um, you know, we did talk about record labels and signing record deals and why that doesn't make the most sense during this generation. And uh, you know, we talked a lot about you know record labels basically being a bank, and um, 
you know, for the things that they're expecting you to give away now, you know, post Napster, post, you know, the iTunes and the Amazon thing that happened online, you know, you may as, you do better to just walk into a bank and get a loan because at least they won't be trying to take your publishing and all these things, you know, or they won't expect you to sign a 360 deal and that type of stuff. At least you'll, uh, you all you have to do is pay them back and you get to keep all your rights and all of your stuff. So, you know, so we rap more about that and more in depth about that. If you have more questions about it, ask somebody that went to the master class. They'll fill you in. <laughs> <laughs> and you also played with current students up yeah. on stage, some real talented jazz players. Yeah, I have to get a list of the names of the cast that play. I mean, they sounded amazing. But uh, it was so quick. You know, I, I uh, the, all the trains on the northeast are, are, you know, being slowed down because they have to put the diesel engines on, and, mm-hmm. you know, all the Amtrak. There's no Acela trains running. So I was late. So I didn't get a chance to really talk to, you know, to the cast before I played, you know, we I think we maybe had two minutes or something, and then we were forced on the stage. So, so I, you know, I need to, I want to get a list of everybody's names, so you know, I can at least reach out to them or try and figure out a way to reach out to them and say thank you because they sounded beautiful. Yeah, they really did. It was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to give them any sort of uh, advice, thoughts about where to go in terms of developing as improvisers, is there <laughs> any particular uh, piece of advice you throw out there? The first thing would just be to take your time. You know, um, and that you know you don't have to be in a rush. Uh, this, is, this is just like practicing the trumpet, what we talked about the last time I was here. But uh, just taking your time, and uh, not having to be in a rush, and you know, don't be afraid to develop something that you know, and and to sort of uh, step into uncharted territory of your musicianship when you're improvising. You know, I guess I've always found that the best moments happen when you're outside of your comfort zone. You know, so. That, that would probably be the main thing I would tell them all. Go slow and be uh, willing to go outside of the comfort zone. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you've brought your band to mm-hmm. play the Berkeley Beantown Jazz Festival. This is a big, free, outdoor music festival. We'll have yeah. somewhere around 75,000 people right. out on Columbus Ave by the end of the day. Michelle Andegiocello, Will Calhoun, Robin McHale, Warren Wolf, Mike Tucker, Three Stages, A Kid's Park, all Mike that. Mike Tucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be a great day. And Christian Scott, of course. So mm-hmm. the whole thing about this event in my mind is it's sort of like Berkeley's attempt to infuse a little bit of New Orleans into mm-hmm. Boston for the day. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm wondering if you would see it that way and what you think we all gain from producing music events like this that really bring an entire community together in a city. Well, I think um, it's been a long time since I've been at the festival. So, you know, I, I'd be able to give you a better assessment of it after today. But um, from what I remember about the festival, you know, I just remember going out there and hearing, you know, acts that, you know, weren't typically brought into Scullers, you know, and um, the Regatta Bar and stuff. And you could hear some, some sort of uh, more um, a different uh, spin on jazz music now, which is which was really cool. A lot of younger bands, I'll never forget the, the last time I went, <clears throat> Jason Moran's group played and you know uh, he they played a song where he had taken a recording of um, of a woman and I think she lived in uh, Yemen and he took the recording of her like a phone recording and he transcribed the recording and played the recording on the piano with his band I was like the coolest thing that I ever heard and <clears throat> normally you go to jazz festivals you don't, you don't get turned on to music like that like that mm-hmm. type of stuff is always seen as you know it's, it, when you play that type of music you're almost automatically seen as persona non grata you know 
So that's one of the things that I love about this festival is that it's uh, it's injected with all different types of, of of jazz music and not just jazz. Sometimes it's blues stuff. I remember coming here before and like uh, most definitely live quality. We're doing something with the festival, so it, it has a you know a lot of different layers. So for me, I think that's the best thing possible to be able to go somewhere and to hear different things and and sort of have different tastes uh, uh, be uh, sort of energized and vamped up when you're there as opposed to just getting the one same monotone thing. <laughs> so well illustrated there by the monotone yeah the um so on the community piece you know the uh, yeah. berkeley is this big school that's uh, in the fenway back bay section of boston so sure. the other thing about this event is we invite the whole town Area, to right? come in and hang mm-hmm. out and so mm-hmm. i'm wondering if i'm sure you've been to a, you grew up going to sort of events that feel like that yeah. in new orleans so Absolutely. what do you think are the benefits of of having sort of a block party like that well i mean i think part of it is you 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 illuminate to the community that one it is a community and that this facet or this nature this nature of the community's culture is important and cares about them as well right i think a lot of times uh you know you have jazz festivals in different cities i mean there's pretty much a jazz festival in every city in the world this is how i eat is based on that premise and idea right but the vast majority of times you go to jazz festivals sometimes it's got this sort of elitist highfalutin type idea about it and it's like it's only for certain people which is sort of absurd based on the fact that you know jazz music is music that was born in the streets by people that didn't have anything so yeah i I I like this uh this model a lot better because it lets the community know that you know culturally there's something really significant going on here and that has been going on here for a very long time and and uh, what Berkeley has built is, you know, I, I think the greatest collegiate musical legacy in the 20th century. So what's not to enjoy? You need to pick your butt up and come down and check the <laughs> festival out. <laughs> Plus, it's a beautiful day. So yeah, absolutely. That. Now, earlier in the conversation, we listened to a few seconds of, and I hope I pronounce this right, Fatima Aisha Rocaro 400. That's correct. From your most recent album, you've been quite mm-hmm. clear that you wanted to make sociopolitical statements sure. on this recording, and this track's certainly an example of that. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about this one mm-hmm. and how you approach the challenge of making instrumental music with a very specific message. Well, the the song is about the collective rape of 400 women in Rocaro, and uh, you know that's uh, this. Uh, and you know, in East Africa, there's there's a sort of a um, uh, a huge uh, problem developing uh, with you know different tribal bands and of North Africans coming in and basically taking over you know the the indigenous people's lands and basically abusing them or killing them and violating the women and these type of things and um, and uh, there's a pretty prolific history of that happening in recent times and. Um, you know, I, I, I talked to a, a few of my friends that are from that region in the world and they told me about these situations that were going on. And I started to do more research and I heard about this and it just broke my heart. So I, I felt that I needed to, to do something or say something or do what I could. Um, I mean, in terms of the music of the song, you know, the song is broken up into four sections, each section embodying one woman uh, or 100 women. Right. So or either four women's stories or 400 women's stories broken up into a one or a hundred women. So, you know, it's for me, it's um, it's always very difficult to try and write something like that because, you know, I, I can only conjecture as to what it's like to be violated in that way. Right. And, um, and what it's like to to live in a place where the, where that type of rampant uh, thing is allowed to exist because of basically because of, you know, which culture, which, you know, the color of your skin or which culture you come from you know and um 
So, you know, all I know is, you know, when I'm thinking about it, it just, it, it pains me and it makes me very angry and I have very visceral reactions to, um, to thinking about those things. But, you know, it's only, it's all I can do is conjecture. So for me, it's, it, it really just becomes about me thinking about whether or not something like that happened to somebody that I loved or was close to me or something in the, the, um, the, the range of emotions that I would feel in that sense or to try and conjecture and figure out what it may feel like to be a 14 year old girl that's just trying to go to I mean something as simple as a watering hole or just walking to school or just trying to you know pick your little sister up from you know uh, a bus stop and having that happen to you you know and not really you know not really having any resources to be able to do anything about what's happening to you even after it happens to you and like what that helplessness feels like and to try and convey that through an instrument so there's a lot of layers to that song you know so is there a conversation in the studio between you and your sidemen about yeah. the idea and how to go about it while playing the tune? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, all the guys are free to interpret the music as, you know, the, one of the great things about making the music in the way that we do it is, you know, it. I don't think that my opinion on a given dynamic is a paramount opinion in the room. I've never thought that ever, you know, and um, it's it's cool to be around guys that come from, you know, different cultures, different places, parts of America. You know, like Matthew Stevens is a Torontonian and his experience growing up is very different from that of Jamiah Williams, who grew up in the third war in Houston. Right. So to see how they react to those type of dynamics, even when they're conversing about it, is very I mean, there's some really uh, sometimes very polarizing and contrasting ideas about how to approach something like that so it's it's always a, a beautiful moment to me as a band leader to see them be able to work those ideas out musically and to hear that contrast because you know I've, I've as, as I've been around this music longer I realized that most people play their personalities you know what I mean and uh, which is a beautiful thing so but you know we talk about them we talk them down and uh, you know I rap with them about what it is that I'm thinking and what I was feeling when I went through this section or you know what I'm trying to convey in this moment but at the end of the day they may feel something completely different about that and they're free to convey that in the open spaces as well it's not a dictatorship you know so let's turn to another track on the album christian Mm -hmm. the second track new new orleans yeah there's a guitar figure here that sounds like it would fit on an indie rock record yeah i basically just i tried to write something that felt like radiohead over like a New Orleanian bounce type thing. Well, yeah. that is a juxtaposition yeah. I don't think I'd heard uh, before. It would <laughs> certainly not work as well. So we're going to listen to that in a second. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit more about uh, this composition. What's the story? How did it come together? Well, it, it really just started with me thinking of, um, you know, how much the city has changed after the hurricane, you know. And uh, culturally, it's a very different place. Uh, you know, it's, one of the things that was great is the first people that came back were a lot of musicians. Uh, so, so you know in in terms of the musical culture it's it's thriving and is as big now as it was before you know if not bigger in certain ways so you know in in those ways i think it's everything has been a positive but um you know we still deal with a situation where the municipality is really corrupt public school systems are, are really in shambles still i mean there's schools that are fine that didn't get any water damage from the hurricane that are still not open that they refuse to reopen uh, one of them was the elementary school that I went to, which is William France Elementary School, which is actually the first desegregated school in America. It's like a block away from where my house, right? And it didn't get any water damage, but they didn't reopen it. You know, it's New Orleans is the type of city where right now is you have a huge proponent of people that are being undereducated so they can be a labor class. I mean, we still have the problems with the systems, you know, with the prisons there. So it's just there's a lot of issues that need to go through. And, of course, the rampant violence. 
um, you know, I think is the murder capital of the world right now, you know. So, you know, I just started thinking about how the similarities uh, th that exist between how the city was when I was growing up, which is post-crack New Orleans, which is really rough as well, and, and, and now, but also the things that are different, you know. And uh, I wanted to try and take... Um, uh, I, I thought of all of the different little musical cultures that we have in New Orleans, whether it's the social uh, clubs or if you got the second line situation or the black Indian music, you got bounce music and all these different things, you know, or the, you know, some of the trad jazz stuff that happens with the brass bands and stuff there. And I wanted to try and create a song that was like a mixture between what the young kids like there now, because you have a lot of like, <laughs> you have like a lot of like black skateboard type indie rock listening to brothers in New Orleans now. Now, mind you, when I was growing up, if you got caught on a skateboard, like a brother all the other brothers would you get washed out it you did not touch skateboards that was like the easiest way to get your butt whooped hmm. right but now it's like everybody skates and listens to like indie rock and so well let me try and see if i can mix that with like a, a bounce beat and put some you know some like almost it's sort of like a blues like a 13 bar form type situation but it's like a hybrid of what you would hear the modern boys playing in the brass bands but also with the type of chord movement that you hear in earlier stuff so you know i wanted to mix all of those elements in to a song to that try and to embody all of those dynamics that i saw at play in the juxtaposition between those things at play now mm. well with all that in mind let's yeah. listen to a little bit of new new orleans I hate to fade that out. Oh, I wish we had time to listen to the whole thing. Now, that's oh, beautiful, so the way all that fits together. And Thanks, man. That sound of your trumpet's so beautiful there over that guitar as well. Thank you. Um, this double album is about, what, 100 minutes long? I have no idea. <laughs> I, You know, I don't know. I just know it's I, it's 23 tracks, but I don't know how long it is because, every, you know, it's, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> so the, the term stretch music isn't yeah, about the length of the no, album. No, it's not about the length, but I guess it could apply to well, it. Tell us about that because you do talk about that quite a bit in the yeah. liner notes of this album stretch music what is that yeah i mean to me I, you know it's it's well that it's actually funny because that whole thing started here in boston you know people calling what we did stretch music you know and it wasn't you know it wasn't something that in the beginning that i was okay with because i view myself as a jazz musician but it just got to the point where there were so many young people coming to us at shows and saying it that we started to embrace it more and um tried to figure out what it was that they were talking about when they said that you know and uh you know if 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 it were left to me to try and um extrapolate what you know the the main tenets of that musical form or what it is that we do and guys like robert glasper who's another guy that they sort of lump in that camp as well is you know to me it's it's sort of like a a fusion 2.0 you know like uh you know sort of like a genre blind uh musical form that tries to acculturate different types of musical vernacular and languages into a jazz context right but the the main tenet of the form is jazz music is an improv improvisational form but 
you know, when I'm writing music, I'm pulling from things that are as wide ranging as just like we said, indie rock and black Indian music and bounce music to to things that come from ragas in India to to the music of the Siramakan and Suriname and you know what I'm saying. So it's there's it's for us when we're composing, we're list we're it's it's a very rare thing for the musicians of this generation to unilaterally listen to jazz music anymore because you know we we we're sort of benefited by. Uh, um, you know the internet now. You can you can study jazz music and listen to it all day, every day, and you get more information than when I was coming up or when you were growing up. You know, like I was saying yesterday, if I wanted to hear a Sonny Stitt record, there was a lot of work that had to go into that. But now I can go online and listen to hours of Sonny Stitt playing for free, mm-hmm. right? So, so the guys that have gotten. You know, the guys that are in their late 20s and 30s now, of course, having the pedigrees that they have, most of them don't listen to jazz music anymore. Like when I see Rob, we talk more about hip hop and indie rock than we talk about jazz music. So it becomes one of those things where like for me, if I had to encapsulate what the idea behind it is, is really just Fusion 2.0. Mm-hmm. It's just like the uh, it's uh, it's 80s babies fusion <laughs> is the best <laughs> way to put it. But but it will be 90s babies fusion right. soon. Yeah. Well, it's. Good news for the music because there's some really cool stuff coming out of you guys. Thanks. Man. What is coming up next? I'm sure you have a recording project. In mind. Yeah, we have a lot. I mean, actually, you know, it's uh, I have a few different ideas for records that we're gonna do. Um, we uh, like I have a brand new. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a brand new band. Half the band is new. Uh, two young guys, 22 year old guys. Well, one just turned 23. A guy named Corey Fonville from uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, plays drums, and a new saxophone player named Braxton Cook from Washington D.C. Um, who's been playing alto and uh, these guys have phenomenal voices and you know they jump right into the band and it was like they're as old as we are musically so it's been fun because we haven't had to slow down uh, but you know I have a, a idea of doing, of doing a sort of a sort of a stretch type of blues record thing mm-hmm. situation where you know the elements are a sort of a more guttural more visceral type sound thing nice. and also we have an idea to, to, to do an album where we try and figure out a way to um, to create more uh, palettes that sound more like hip hop music, uh, you know the type of stuff you might hear from ASAP Rocky, ASAP Ferger, or Drake, and this type of stuff, but put into a jazz context and that type of stuff. So mellower stuff, but some hardcore stuff as well. But stuff that you know, like uh, you know, people that grew up in my neighborhood can turn on and just leave on and not really have to. You know, you're not hitting them with all this crazy harmony and these silly melodies all the time. It's just yes. something they can enjoy. So are you going to be taken to the mic yourself? No, I, I mean, you know, I, I. You, I was always told never to say never, but I don't see myself doing that. You know, I may maybe I sing a black Indian song or something like that sometime, but but uh, but I don't think I'll be rapping or anything. Well, all right, it sounds yeah. great. We look forward to hearing all of that. And Christian Scott, I just want to thank you so much uh, for the talk today. Oh, thank you for visiting Berkeley. No, Absolutely, come on. this is my home, so I'm glad to be here. Well, it's it's great to see you stay so connected to the community. I look forward to you coming again. I love it here. Well, we look forward to hearing more of your music today beyond. Learn more about him at christianscott.tv. More on the festival at beantownjazz.org. Go to berkeley.edu slash music to listen to more podcasts. This episode was engineered by student Ryan Walsh in partnership with The Burn. I'm Rob Hoschild for Inside Berkeley.